Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning, everyone. So glad that you're connecting with us this morning. It's uh, the Sunday after Easter, and I just want to say thank you to so many of you who sent us cards during the season. Uh, They are uplifting, they're encouraging. Julie and I express to you our gratitude. We're grateful for all the wonderful people who are giving us encouragement. Uh, Our mailbox had so many cards coming from you all. Thank you, thank you. Uh, We love you, we miss you, we're looking forward to getting back uh, together as we anticipate we will in the month of May. But today, it is the Sunday after Easter. Welcome to my kitchen table. I'm glad you're here. Each year, we anticipate Easter Sunday, don't we? The celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. We begin the season with Lent. It's 40 days of anticipation. Lent means spring. Spring is a time of anticipation, expectation, looking forward to new birth. As we talked about last week, Paul the Apostle described the resurrection like a seed that was dead, coming to life. Springtime is full of resurrection. So each year, we look forward to celebrating the ultimate resurrection, the tomb of Jesus Christ being emptied because of his rising from the dead. For those who followed Jesus, that whole turn of events was mind-blowing. Even though Jesus had gained much notoriety in the region he lived because of the many, many miracles he performed. And of course, due to his teaching about God with authority and confidence and the way he took on the religious leaders of the day, that gained him more attention. And of course, he talked about who he was. He was the Son of God. He was the one who was promised as a Savior. But even his closest friends didn't seem to understand it all. They had studied the scriptures. Of course, they had the scriptures. This, our Old Testament, they had the Old Testament. And what's in here, the Old Testament? Well, it points to Jesus over and over again. There are prophecies in the Old Testament, and there's so many of them. There are They're like dominoes standing up. And when Jesus was born one after another, those prophecies about him were fulfilled. Like dominoes falling, Jesus fulfilled what had been written hundreds of years earlier. Some examples. The Savior would be born of a woman. That's Genesis 3.15. He'd be born of a woman and crush the head of the enemy. Micah 5.2 says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And Isaiah prophesied he would be born of a virgin. And that's just about his birth. The Old Testament speaks of his mission, his ministry, how he would be betrayed, that he would give his life in sacrifice. The Old Testament gives details from the prophets about his crucifixions. The prophecies are are 
amazingly accurate that Jesus would be executed with criminals, that he'd be numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, 12. His executioners would cast lots for his garments, Psalm 22, 18. His hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22, 16, and Zechariah 12, 10. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, knocking them down from birth to the cross. Consider this, this little domino, Genesis 3.15, the first of many, many prophecies about Jesus, prophecy of his birth. That's number one in the row of dominoes that represent the prophecies of Christ. But at his birth, he began to knock them all down. And every single one of them, every single one of them fell all the way to the cross. And then after the cross, there was even more. His resurrection. Psalm 49, 15 and Psalm 16, 10. He would not be left to the realm of the dead nor undergo decay. Jesus is the fulfiller of prophecy. We know all this because we have the Gospels. We have the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These men are often called the evangelists. Each one of them penned a narrative about the life and mission of Jesus. And all the Gospel writers refer back to the Old Testament they point out that Jesus is the one who is written about or spoken of time and again. The Gospels give us the account of the life of Jesus. When it comes to the times we Christians cherish and hold dear, the Christmas season, the Easter season, we rely on the Gospels because they're what impress upon us the life of Jesus. We use the beginnings of the Gospels during the Christmas season to rehearse the birth of Jesus. Then, at the Easter season, we come to the ends of the Gospels. We recount the passion of Jesus, his suffering and his pain, his sacrificial death, his burial and resurrection, and often include that Jesus ascended into heaven, which is recorded at the end of the Gospel of Mark and Luke. And we keep restating these accounts, the birth of Jesus, his death, his resurrection and ascension, because they never grow old. They never get stale. For some, though, it seems that Christmas and Easter are the only times worth opening a Bible or attending a church service. Here we are, the Sunday after Easter. And if we were in the church sanctuary this morning, I guarantee there'd be less seats filled than on last Sunday, than on Easter. And I'm guessing if we look at the number of connections online today, there would be fewer than last week. As if there's nothing to follow after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus resurrected and he ascended into heaven and that's it, nothing more. But there was so much more so much more to come. Jesus said as much. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, 
The last chapter is full of the future. It's not an end. The last chapter of Luke tells of the resurrected Jesus appearing to two men who were walking to a little village called Emmaus. They were walking away from Jerusalem. And these men were visibly down. Jesus suddenly appeared to them. What are you talking about? He said as he began to walk with them. And they were incredulous. They didn't recognize him. And they said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who hasn't heard? Heard about what? Jesus responded. About Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed. The chief priests and our own rulers had him sentenced to death. And he was crucified. But we had hoped that he'd be the one who was going to redeem us. And it's been three days now. And some of our own women went to the tomb and they said it was empty. They said angels appeared and told them Jesus is alive. Now these guys were obviously depressed. They didn't believe Jesus was alive. And how did he respond to them? Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. It reads this way. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus wasn't too nice here, was he? How did he respond? You're foolish. You are slow to believe. Sort of like, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you see it? Jesus was talked about in the scriptures. And then he opened up this, the Old Testament, to them. Many say that they believe. Many say that they believe this Old Testament. Even these two fellows who were walking along the road to Emmaus at one time believed that Jesus was the one who would redeem them. But they needed to be convinced. And Jesus, as he walked with them, he began to convince them from this Old Testament. Many say they believe. Then, why the drop-off after Easter? They seem as if these two men on the road to Emmaus. What's left? We've reached an end. There's nothing more. Don't need to go to church. Don't need to open a Bible. But as I said, there is more to come. Near the end of Luke chapter 24, Jesus has now appeared to a group of his followers, including the 11, which were formerly the 12, but Judas the betrayer is gone. And among this group, Jesus once again goes to the Old Testament, and he also points forward. Luke 24, verses 45 to 49. They say this, Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance 
For the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The story is not over. The Gospels serve as a bridge. They serve as a bridge from the old to the new. In the old, we have God the Father as a central figure, revealing his nature and character while pointing to his son, Jesus Christ, and his coming and all that he would accomplish in giving his life as a sacrifice for sin, his resurrection, all those dominoes of prophecy we talked about here in the Old Testament. Then the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus is a central figure, and Jesus puts a face on God, and all the while pointing back to his Father, saying things like, I have come to do the will of my Father. But at his resurrection and ascension, the story is not over. Jesus also points forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He had done this multiple times throughout his ministry. Jesus said things like, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the Comforter, the Spirit. And he said, I will send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit from the Father. And he repeated that just before he ascended into heaven. What we read at the close of Luke's Gospel. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Jesus was pointing to the Holy Spirit. The remainder of our Bible, the New Testament letters, complete for us the story of the Holy Spirit, filling believers, believers who then go on to preach repentance from sin, forgiveness by God through his son Jesus, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Gospels just don't come to an end. They're a bridge to the Spirit-filled church that we are now living. Jesus said there is more to come something new. But he said also, there was something to do before the new. What was required before the new? What was necessary before being clothed with power from on high? Two words jumped out to me from Luke 24, verse 49. Stay in. Did you see those words? Stay in, Jesus said. Stay in the city, that is, Jerusalem. Stay in until you have been clothed with power from on high. That is, until you have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Stay in. Something new is going to take place, and it is going to be amazing. It will empower you to be witnesses. What happens will enable them all to give a confident testimony about the reality of the work of Jesus. It will begin a movement that has gone on to this day, a movement to spread the good news about forgiveness and salvation found only in Jesus going to all nations. Stay in until you receive this awesome work of God that will fill you with his spirit. Now, these people had no idea how long they would have to stay in the city. For many, their livelihoods 
were not in the city. They were on the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. How long would they have to stay in? For what length of time would they have to wait until what God had promised? They had to trust Jesus. They had to trust in the promise of Jesus. How did they respond? Luke closes his gospel telling us they went to the city with joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Then the rest of the story, from the bridge of the Gospels to the rest of the writings of the New Testament. The first writing after the Gospel is Luke's second book, and it's called the Acts of the Apostles. He begins by summarizing that last chapter of his Gospel, the state in order with the promise that something new was going to come. And then we, re we read that it did. The incredible visitation of the Holy Spirit on the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Jesus is a promise keeper. The new arrived with power. There was wind and fire and people were filled with the Spirit and they became powerful and confident uh, representatives of Jesus. And now today... Today, we're living in a stay in order. We've all been told, stay in. And we don't like it. I don't like it. It's caused a lot of pain. It's caused people financial stress. It's caused us emotional stress. I've had my bad days through, through this time of being shut in. There are things that I would like to do outside of the house, and I can't. And I have had moments and times of frustration. But if we trust Jesus, if we trust Jesus, I believe that there will be something new and good at the end of this wait. I believe that God has something new for his church. And not just our local church, Bethesda, but for the capital C Universal Church. Turn the worry and the fear to trust. God is in this. God has got this. Don't believe for a minute that our Lord is in heaven wringing his hands in frustration because the coronavirus is out of control. It isn't out of his control. Trust him to work in you through the stay in. Trust him to work in you something new. Could it be that God is working in us a greater trust in him? Could it be that God wants us to trust him more instead of putting our trust into things like stock markets and 401ks and in political figures and in other people? God's word tells us that the Lord is our refuge, Psalm 118. Perhaps God is working in you a greater trust in him. Maybe it's about the things we focused our time on before this stay in order. Pushing the Lord to fit into an hour and a half time slot on Sunday. Maybe, maybe he just wants to spend more time with you. 
So instead of longing for everything we had and did before the stay in, let's long for what's to come. Consider this time not as a bitter valley to crawl out of back to what life was. Consider it a kind of Lent that anticipates the newness of a springtime. Consider it a beautiful bridge to something new, a new life where some of the things that consumed you or distracted you from God have been purged, a life where Jesus is more of a priority, with a greater focus on his word and on being bold and and confident as an advocate for your Savior. I believe there can be something new and positive for every single one of us when we trust him and turn our worry and fear to joy and consider the stay in as time to be, as it were, in the temple, praising God. There is an end coming to this stay in. Look forward to it, anticipating the new. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunities you have presented to us to get to know you more, to trust you more. Though we don't like it, though we're in pain, though we're in frustration, God, we know that you're in control, that you have your hand on every life. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us with a trust in you. We pray, God, that you would work that in us strong. We pray, God, that you would work in all of us a new priority for you, that we would look more to you and not the things that have been set aside from our life, Lord. Help us to long for more time with you, more time with your word, more trust in you. And God, turn our worry and our fear to joy. Lord, we know that you are going to bring our stay in time to an end. We trust you in that. We love you and we thank you. Bless your people, God, and lift them. Be that strong tower and refuge for every single one in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you this morning. Keep anticipating the new.